Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Good morning and happy Lord's Day to you. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant. and I welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ to this worship hour on this Lord's Day. If you are joining us and need prayer, if you have a concern, if you want someone to reach out to you to counsel with you, if you need tangible help, all of those requests are going through this singular email, prayer at covenant-mail.com. That's going to be open and active throughout our service together. Send us a message there. We'll be sure to reach out to you. If you're watching us on either our Facebook or YouTube platform, let me encourage you to just drop a thumbs up or a hello in the comment section or the thread there. Uh, Just let us know who you are. If you're visiting with us for the very first time, welcome. We are so sorry that you're not able to do that in the traditional way. Hopefully in the near future that will change, but just give us your name. Let us know where you're from. You may be one of those folks visiting from a place where even if the building were open, you wouldn't be able to be here anyway. Maybe you're on the other side of the continent or even on the other side of the world. We look forward to hearing from you and hearing uh, where you're from and all of that. God bless you as as you worship with us this morning. I want to begin with a reading from the text that we will be preaching from this morning. Galatians chapter 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, for you were called the freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. These wise words of instruction are the words of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for grace. We thank you for grace that brings us into perfect fellowship with you. We thank you for grace that binds us together in community. For a grace that even physical distance cannot break down. A sense of community that physical distance cannot eliminate. And so, Lord, I just pray for our folks and those who may be watching us who are visiting with us. I I pray for every single one of those people that are watching right now and their families. Lord, would you bless them today? Father, would your presence be so in that house that they, that they leave our time together with a, a full confidence of who you are and that your presence with them is enough during times like this. Lord, as we sing now, I ask, Lord, that you just fill us with your spirit and may we leave here far more encouraged and far more empowered than when we first came. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right after this service, actually it's at 1 o'clock, so it gives you some time to grab some lunch. Uh, There is actually a Discover Covenant class. I thought I would bring that up. I think there's about a dozen or so folks that want to become, uh, are looking at becoming a part of the Covenant family, even in the midst of these unusual times. And we're going to be meeting together via Zoom 
Uh, if you would like information on that, if you could send a request to dlyle at covenant-mail.com. So it's the same email address that, uh, where you send very confidential prayer concerns. So just let them know, and uh, the, he'll get that to Pastor Chris. We'll get a link to you so that you can join us at 1 p.m. for Discover Covenant. And of course, throughout our time together, prayer at covenant-mail.com. If you need to respond to this message, to the worship, if you need somebody to reach out to you, if you have tangible needs, anything you might need, we want to be here for you. We're going to be moving a couple of things uh, this week. One is our weekly prayer meeting. Amy and I have so enjoyed meeting with really hundreds of you every Wednesday afternoon. This week, because of some scheduling issues, we're going to need to move that to Thursday. And so you'll be seeing it. If you're watching us on Facebook now, you'll be able to see it right there uh, on the Facebook channel. Thursday at 1 p.m. Uh, and part of what we're going to be doing on that day is getting ready for the Lord's Supper. We're coming up on our fourth Sunday, and as a church family, the Lord's Supper is, is not something to be done as an individual. You, you do that as the body of Christ. It was a, an ordinance of Christ given to the church, and these are rather unusual times, but we believe we can do that as the church, and so we'll be providing some instruction uh, with regard to that on Thursday afternoon, and there's a lot of things going on. I'll mention this again at the end of the message, but I hope you'll be praying for us. A lot of our Team Covenant members are going to be coming out Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week appropriately with masks and gloves and distanced from each other, but this is the week that we're going to start a community lunch. I want to thank Pastor Dave for really spearheading this. It's just an awesome opportunity for us to serve, uh, particularly those who found themselves suddenly unemployed in the midst of this, but, but really anyone who's uh, experiencing some tough times financially or otherwise, and maybe you don't have the means for uh, providing every meal for your family, or maybe you do have means for doing it, but you really could use that money to pay the mortgage this month, and maybe three free lunches a week might actually be of great help to you. And so right here on the campus in the east parking lot, that starts Tuesday. It's going to be drive-through. It's going to be safe. The food is prepackaged, purchased from a distributor. Uh, we're following all of the health department guidelines on this, but we want to bless you if you could use a blessing. And so I hope you'll join us this coming week and for the foreseeable future. I wonder how many people watching me right now have ever driven a vehicle that was out of alignment. I remember the first time I did that, I had an F-150 pickup truck and I hit a pothole and the steering wheel just jarred. And immediately, if I was going to go straight, the steering wheel wouldn't be like this, it, it would be like this. And, and when you knock your vehicle out of alignment, it's really important. I know a lot of people think maybe it's not. Uh, because it's expensive, and it is expensive to get it realigned. Uh, but the reason it's expensive is because it's really a complicated process. There's a number of different things your mechanic has to look at, but there are three things primarily. One is called the camber. This is your wheel's vertical alignment with the, the asphalt. So if, it, if, it's, if your wheel is like this or like this, you're going to have uneven tire wear. You're going to have possibly some damage to your suspension, so they want to get that straight. Caster is the other angle that they look at. It's a little harder to visualize than camber, but just as important because it, it's created by the pivot point and the steering wheel. And then you have the toe, which is the angle of the tires from the top down. And the fact is, if you have any of those knocked out of alignment, your vehicle is going to be out of alignment. Your car, truck, or van, when you let go of the wheel, it's going to pull. Some of you have experienced that. It may pull to the left, it may pull to the right, depending on which wheel hit the pothole or the really rough railroad tracks. And sometimes it gets so bad uh, that even the most stubborn of us have to pull into the shop and let somebody do something to this because you recognize the long-term cost of my tires and even my suspension is really going to be bad. But when you drive the thing up until the point that you get it to the mechanic, you find yourself doing something called overcorrecting. So if it pulls to the left, you constantly find yourself sort of moving that steering wheel to the right. And sometimes you may be one of those stubborn people, again, that just doesn't want to spend the money. Or maybe somebody told you, erroneously, you're going to be okay and you don't have to drop all that money at the mechanic. You just, just drive like this, right? In other words, just keep overcorrecting. Well, in Galatians, we find that Paul is speaking to a church, a body of Christ, that really their spiritual lives look a lot like that. They're out of alignment. They're pulling in a couple of different directions. 
It is a congregation full of people whose lives are out of alignment. Just like your car, if you let go of that steering wheel, it ought to be able to go straight right just on its own. It should be able to, at least for a limited time, if you're on a straight, flat road. Our spiritual lives are intended by God to travel straight down a certain path, but sometimes our lives, maybe they pull to the left. We'll call that license or, or even rebellion. This idea that if grace abounds, I'll just sin more, and that way grace will all the more abound. I can sin all that I want because, after all, salvation is by grace. That life that, that Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. I'll just continue to live with my sin. I'll never live the kind of transformed life that God wants me to live. That's what's, what's happening in, in the Galatian congregation is you've got a people whose lives have felt pulled to the left, but rather than allowing the gospel to align them, a group called the Judaizers have come in and have convinced them all you need to do is grab the wheel and pull hard right, and if you do that, you'll be just fine. And so what you need in order to do that in your spiritual life, you need some rules. You need some regulations. More particularly, you need circumcision and dietary laws, and the result at the church at Galatia, is empty religion. We're going to talk about that this morning. What, are the, what is the result of, of practicing your faith? We've been in a, a series called The Grace-Driven Life, and we've been learning through this letter to the Galatians that that is not God's intention for us. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and we've been taught in this letter that the grace of God that he speaks of and that Paul preaches is a transforming grace. It should make a noticeable difference in our lives. And Paul's taught us about a number of things. For example, the relationship between law and the gospel. We've learned that grace makes us children of God and that we shouldn't live like slaves. And now as we begin chapter 5, there's another subject that Paul is going to spend uh, a whole chapter on, really, and we're going to spend two weeks on it. It's the subject of freedom. The freedom of the gospel liberates us from both rebellion on the one hand and empty legalistic religion on the other. So here's our challenge this morning. It is to choose freedom. How do you do that? How do you resist a pull to the left, rebellion, a pull to the right, religion? How do you live a life that is completely aligned with the grace of God? Well, when you take your vehicle to the mechanic, they look at caster, camber, and tow. Well, there are three things Paul tells us we need to be sure of as well. If we're going to live a, a life that is aligned in grace and not give in to empty religion, he tells us, first of all, to live in the freedom that we have been given. In verse 1, he says, For freedom in Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So the big theme in these six verses is Freedom, that's a nice American word, isn't it? You know, in about two and a half months, we're going to celebrate our freedom. You're going to see red, white, and blue everywhere. You'll see people gathering, probably not nearly in crowds as, as big as they were last year. I imagine probably some of these restrictions will have let up by them, but not so much that you'll be able to get into a crowd of hundreds or even, even thousands, but you'll see people be able to get together. Some of them are going to eat way too much. Some of them are going to drink way too much, and then they're going to do something brilliant. After they've drank way too much, they're going to get a big box of explosives that they bought at the nearest fireworks stand, and they're going to go out in their backyard, and they're going to blow stuff up. And you know why they're going to do it? Freedom, baby. That's why they're going to do it. I'll, you ever wonder, when you think about our normal activities like that on the 4th of July, how many of us are actually enjoying every freedom that this nation actually promises us? You know, the Constitution guarantees you access to freedom, but it does not guarantee that you nor I are going to live in a way that causes us to benefit from those freedoms. That really is up to us. And this is Paul's point, that when it comes to the gospel, you can be set free. Christ will throw open the prison doors for you so you can walk out and you can still choose to not live free. This is why Paul says, don't submit back to that yoke of slavery. 
Don't go back to prison. Don't go back to the ways in which you can be enslaved. If it's rebellion and you're married, don't remember how fun the single life was and think, wow, that must be better. I need to get back to that. You're sober, but you remember the parties you used to have. You kind of forget that the hangover wasn't nearly as much fun. But you think, well, maybe I should go back to something like that because this just doesn't seem to be working out. If your propensity is to pull to the right and it's toward religion, you could say, well, I have this obligation now to the law. That's how I'm going to push through. And Paul says, if you do that, you're severed from Christ. And, and the word there literally means to be set free, be emancipated. You have emancipated yourself from Christ. Well, several weeks ago, I talked about the difference between seeing Christianity as a bounded set versus seeing Christianity as a centered set. Bounded set Christianity uh, it really isn't Christianity at all because it's all about the rules and the regulations and here are the walls and here are the prison bars and here are the boundaries and you've got to make sure you know where all of them are and you've got to stay within your boundary. Centered set Christianity says I don't need boundaries and it's not so that I can live however I want. It's because I'm tethered to a center. That center is Christ and as long as I am tied to Jesus, he's never going to let me go into areas of my life that are going to bring me harm. He's never going to allow me to do the things that would bring harm to me or to others. And so I just need to concentrate on staying tethered to him. And so basically, here's the big idea. Tether yourself to Christ. Don't have a bounded set. What Paul is saying is, you're putting yourself back into prison. Every time you exchange the center for the boundary, that's what you're doing. You're choosing to go back into a prison cell. And when you re-imprison yourself, the hope of righteousness, that assurance that you're going to live as God intended, that assurance that you're going to die ready to meet him, you're, you're severed from that as well. And and the external evidence of that severing is implied in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but faith working through love. Next week, we're going to get to the fruit of the Spirit, the contrast, the, the corollary, if you will, to this first part of Galatians chapter 5 is that there is life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. But one of the things we see here is that the law can never produce love. Religion never produces love. You know why? Because of one of the very first Bible verses you ever learned. If you were raised in any kind of Christian faith community, one of the first passages of Scripture you probably ever learned as a child came out of 1 John 4. Three really simple words. God is love. God is love. And that's true. But the corollary to that is this. The religion that Paul speaks of here is godless. And because it's godless, it can never produce the kind of love that Paul describes here. Legalistic religion. On the outside, it may appear godly. It may have crosses all over it. It may speak in language that's perfectly orthodox, but inside, it is just as godless as atheism because a religion of works at the end of the day says the same thing the atheist says. It says, I don't need God. I don't need to be dependent on him. It is up to me. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I can do this on my own. And, and in this context of Galatians, the legalist question revolved around the practice of circumcision. And so Paul summarizes that like this. He says, be circumcised, don't be circumcised. Basically what he's saying is Jesus doesn't care about that. He doesn't. You ever wondered how many things we argue about inside the church that Jesus really doesn't care about? This was one of them in the church at Galatia. It wasn't about one side or the other. Be circumcised if you want. Don't be circumcised if you don't want. What made this sin is that the neutral things became necessary things for salvation. There are a lot of areas where we can fall into that trap. I'll give you one of them corporately. Here at Covenant, when we do baptisms, we do that by immersion. We do it of adults and, and children who have come of a certain age that they have recognized their sin, and they're willing to give their lives to Jesus Christ. So we wait until after someone has been converted, and then we baptize them by immersion. So here at Covenant, we keep water as far away from babies as possible, and we believe we have good reason for doing that. It's not an unimportant issue. But we also recognize we got a number of folks in our community, a number of them come and visit with us on a regular basis who come from different denominational traditions who see this differently. Now, baptism's not a small thing, but it's also not a necessary thing for salvation. 
And so, for example, when we do the Lord's Supper next week, we will invite anyone and everyone who has put their faith in Christ. Why? Because they're our brother and sister. And so for me to deny someone from another tradition who maybe does baptism differently would be for me to suggest that there's something questionable about their faith in God. Now, it's one thing for me to say, I think there might be something questionable about their baptism or for them to say the same thing about me. It's quite another to take that next step and suggest that that means that they're not in right relationship with God. Because here's the big idea. At the judgment seat, God is not going to say, I just want the wet ones. That's not how it's going to work. Everyone is welcome. And so on that issue, this is the way we treat it. Speaking in tongues is another one of those areas. We, We are open to that. Here at Covenant, and you'll find a number of people with a lot of different, uh, just a lot of different convictions about that. Some of our people speak in tongues. Some of our people do not. Some of our people even believe that it doesn't even happen anymore. You're like, okay, well, we can all come to our convictions on what we believe about this, but when the cessationist, the person who doesn't speak in tongues and really is a little suspicious of it, when that person says of the person who does, they're going to go to hell, or what they're doing is pagan and it's not even right. Or, conversely, when the charismatic who speaks in tongues presumes, I'm more spiritual, I've got a closer connection with God uh, than the other person who doesn't. You know what's happened in both of those cases? Religion has crept in. Parenting is another one of those. Since Amy and I became parents 20-plus years ago, there have been a half dozen major parenting philosophies that have made their way through Christian bookstores. And we were those young parents at one point trying to figure out what's the best way to raise our son. And we've seen others come behind us and they struggle with that. Not an unimportant question at all. But within that are all kinds of of philosophical decisions that you have to make when you're going to be a parent. Starting with, do I breastfeed or do I bottle feed? And moving from there to, what, what do we do about vaccinations and how many and when? And do we follow the advice of the doctor here? And how do we educate them publicly or privately? And you've got all these different kinds of ways. You know, when they wake up crying in the middle of the night, uh, how soon should we start just leaving them there so they can learn to go to sleep? Or do we just keep responding until they... And there's all these different opinions. Have you noticed that? And the opinions, then, in and of themselves, are not invalid... But it's amazing when you look at some of the mommy blogs, you would think that heaven and hell are dependent on where you land on some of this stuff. And the way people sometimes excoriate each other over, can I just be honest, after having been a parent over two decades, a parenting philosophy that will be obsolete inside of five years. It's just, what there'll be a new one, there'll be a new controversy, there'll be a new argument, so take what you've got with what you've got, make the best decision for your child, and move forward with it. But don't treat other people like they're less than you. Don't allow other people to treat you like they're less than them over things that are not unimportant, over things where there may not be a right or a wrong answer, but the issue with our salvation is Christ. And when you have that kind of vitriol, you know what's happened? Somebody, or multiple somebodies in fact, decided to go back to prison. That's what happened. The point here is that life lived under the law and life lived in the Spirit, which we're going to learn more about next week, are irreconcilable. So when you choose law, you are by default cut off from the Spirit of Christ, severed from the freedoms of Christ. And and the reason is, here's the big idea. At the end of the day, you're either going to trust Jesus or you're going to trust yourself. But you can't trust both. We've been granted the freedom of Christ living in us and meeting every expectation, fulfilling every destiny. We saw it in chapter 2, verse 20. It is not I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. Why would you return to self-effort? Live in the freedom of that he has provided you. And secondly, don't be diverted from that freedom. Paul continues in verse 7, you were running well. This was going great for a little while. I came in, I shared the gospel, you received the gospel, you lived in freedom. Here comes the questions now. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord 
that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So here's what Paul is saying. You're not following Jesus. Instead, you're following someone else that you think is following Jesus, but they're not. And he uses two analogies to prove his point. The first is a, an athletic reference to the Olympic Games that were happening even in Paul's day. He said, you were running well. You were running in a lane right behind Jesus, right behind him. And you started running behind someone else and says, somebody cut into that lane in between you and Jesus, and you thought, well, they're following Jesus, I'll just follow them. But you, you didn't keep your eyes on the first person in the line, and now those people have switched lanes, and you're not even sure where you are. And then right on the, the heels of that, he uses a baking reference. He speaks of leaven. Jesus warns of this in Matthew 16. Yeast, just a little bit of it, can so thoroughly infest within the dough that it causes an entire batch of bread to rise. And what Paul is saying here is spiritual diversions are subtle, very subtle. And this is what makes them deadly. You know, in an earlier message when we were looking at chapter 3, I said it matters who your history teacher is. Well, it matters even more who spiritually influences you. So you need to ask yourself, do my closest relationships direct me toward Jesus or away from him? One way you can answer that question is by asking another one. Are those who are closest to me, who influence me the most, are they actually following Jesus? That's going to be a challenge to some of you. Some of you are in a dating relationship right now with someone who doesn't follow Jesus. And you're making all kinds of excuses. You're missionary dating. Maybe they'll come to know the Lord. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, look, I love you. I, I'm not going to try to judge you. I've had a number of people just like you sit in my office and try to explain their rationale to me. And, and I love them. I, I don't think I'm better than them. I'm not trying to be. But I, listen, God's word could not be any more clear on this. So you just need to know. It, you know, once these restrictions are lifted, you, you come into my office and you say, you know, pastor, I, I, I'm dating this individual or, or pastor, my son, my daughter's dating this individual and we've, we've affirmed the relationship because now they're not following Jesus. Not, not yet, not yet, but, but, it, look, it, can I just be honest? This is going to be my face. Okay. I, I, what do you want me to say? Scripture could not be more clear on this. And Paul even invokes that here. If my closest relationships, not saying you shouldn't have relationships with unbelievers. We, we push that hard here. I'm saying my closest relationships, the people who will influence me, you can't be in a marriage and not be influenced radically by that other person. If they're not actually following Jesus, How's that going to affect my spiritual life? And Paul makes a bold statement here. These people, these Judaizers who've come into Galatia, who are placing demands on you, giving direction to you, that did not come from the one who called you, they're going to bear a penalty for this. Oftentimes with our staff, I'll draw a picture of a boat on a whiteboard. If you can imagine, you've got the bow here, you've got the stern here, and I'll have arrows, right? I'll have a, a straight arrow I'll have another straight arrow, another straight arrow, and then I'll have some arrows to the side and some arrows back, and then, and then there'll be a couple of arrows just back here. And I'll say, these arrows represent people that are part of your team. Which one of these arrows is the most dangerous person on your team? Uh, and sometimes somebody will go to that right to the, the stern of the ship and the person that's rowing backwards. Well, that that person's a problem, but they're not the most dangerous person on the team because it's obvious they're not moving in the same direction as everybody else. It's plain. It's clear. This is easy. You got to get rid of them, right? The people going sideways, the people that have their own kind of agendas, people that aren't tied in. No, the most dangerous person is the person that's out in front, but he's not here. He's here. Because if you're just one or two degrees off course, those of you who've done navigation on a boat know, I've never done it, but I hear 
you can wind up in a place you don't want to wind up. Or in fact, let's, let's take the boat out of the analogy, put the airplane in. You really may not realize you're one or two degrees off course until you are hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles off course, and then you crash into a mountain that was hidden into the clouds. You've got to make sure that the people you follow are the people who are following Jesus. Those were the, that was the nature of the spiritual diversions in Galatia. And those diversions are dangerous, Paul says in verse 11, because they remove the offense of the cross. Jesus was persecuted, killed to give you and me grace. But up until the message of the cross, the cross was an offense, even in the first century. It was an instrument of execution. It represented the most, the, the most horrible, offensive way to die. There's actually an old hymn that we sing occasionally here, and it refers to the cross as, as the emblem of suffering and shame. I wonder sometimes how often we sing lyrics to a hymn or a song and we don't even realize the depth of what we're singing. That would have been especially true in the honor-shame culture of the first century. For you to be crucified is absolutely humiliating for you. It's humiliating for your family. A list of crimes that you were guilty of were hanging over you, and you hung there, naked, sweaty, bleeding, and incontinent. Today, the cross is still offensive to those who do not believe because of its ultimate indictment of human potential. What the cross says to me is that I can't be anything I want to be. We love to say that. Even some Christian churches will say that. You can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. It's an indictment. The very, the very reality of the cross says, if I'm really okay, if you're really okay, explain the necessity of that bloody mess. In, the, in, that, in this context, Paul's saying, what would make you think in view of the cross that circumcision solves any part of this? And that then brings him to his graphic crescendo in verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you, those who are making such a big deal, those who are making heaven and hell out of whether or not to remove foreskin from a sensitive organ, I wish they would emasculate themselves. Pastor, does that mean? Yeah, it means exactly what you fear it means. Yep. Longnecker, one of the commentators I read for this, says this is, in all of the New Testament, the crudest and rudest of Paul's extant statements. Why would he say something like that? That's pretty offensive. Do Christians talk that way? Well, some have suggested, and it's plausible, that Paul is referencing a mystery cult in Asia Minor who worshipped a mother goddess named Sybil. Sybil's male priests, every one of them were required to be castrated. And so it's likely that what Paul is saying, I wish you would emasculate yourselves, is saying if you're making heaven or hell out of circumcision or uncircumcision, that's not even Christian. That's just as pagan as the cult that worships Sybil. At the very least, he's reacting in disgust at the suggestion that sin, which required the death of Jesus, could in any way be removed by removing a piece of skin from a sensitive organ. And so Paul says, in reaction to that, if you really believe that, why don't you just go varsity? But there's bigger implications here still. In Deuteronomy 23.2, it is explicitly forbidden for emasculated men to come into the assembly of the Lord. Paul is saying to these Judaizers, you're pagan. What you're teaching is not Christian. It's pagan. And, and see, this is the problem with legalism. When you start adding rules and regulations and putting up walls and trying to imprison people for your own benefit so that they do what you want them to do, they're created and re remade in your image rather than Jesus' image, that, that's a diversion. And the problem with that kind of teaching is that eventually... Everyone is disqualified by their own teaching. Eventually, you're going to disqualify yourself. All of this is a diversion from the freedom of grace. You got here, Paul says, because somewhere in running that race, you got behind the wrong person. You were influenced by the wrong people. You say, well, how do I, how do I fix that? How do I make sure? By getting into the right community. That's the third thing Paul tells us. You want spiritual alignment? Run together in 
community. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So the first first 12 verses address that pull to the right, right? Legalism, misalignment caused by empty religion. Now Paul switches gears and he starts to address anybody that might be pulling to the left. Misalignment by saying, Freedom is not the liberty to just live however you want. Freedom allows you to see the big picture. It's not about religious observance. You don't fix your leftward drift by an overcorrection to the right. You fix it by serving one another. Following Christ comes out in service toward one another, love toward one another, deference toward one another. And Paul says, this is how you can tell whether a faith community is out of alignment. Are they enslaving one another to religion? Are they using sin as an excuse to sin against each other? You can have an observant, faithful, orthodox, doctrinally sound church in which the people devour each other. That's the picture that Paul's painting here. You can have a lack of trust. You can have a lack of transparency. You can have rampant gossip all manner of divisiveness. And so Paul says, this freedom isn't just for you. It's for the whole family. It's for the whole family. So how are you using your freedom? Do you harbor unforgiveness or hold a grudge? Do you continually criticize and find something wrong with your whole church family or with people in your church family? There's that other family. There's that other ministry. There's whatever else. And you, you're always picking at it. Are you always assuming the worst about everybody else? Do you speak negatively about others? Do you encourage a culture of gossip and dissension? Do the people who lead you, do they hate to see you coming? See, the opposite effect of that, the way to know you're spiritually aligned and not off course is that through the love that only the Spirit of God can put in your heart, and we'll talk about that again next week, through that love you serve. And here's the big idea. When we devour each other, we act just like the people we used to be. Have you seen examples in in our culture in recent weeks of devouring each other? I have. You know, when this whole pandemic started, one of the things I thought was, this is a horrible, horrible way to unite the country. But maybe it will. I know. Call me stupid. Didn't happen, did it? For a few weeks, everybody was kind. Everybody talked about how we're going to get through this together. Everybody. And then all of a sudden it started in the halls of Congress. And now it's sort of trickled down and you sort of see it in the populace and news media, on social media. People devour each other. So disheartening. Just to watch social media in the last couple of weeks is... Some of our leaders are talking about how do we, how do we start to, to, to map a road back to some sense of normalcy, uh, not in a way that pull, you know, pops the cork and takes us right back to where we were in February or January, but in a way that's responsible. Maybe we scale back up in, simple, in roughly the same way that we scaled down, and they're doing that as best they can in, in um, consultation with, with healthcare professionals, and it's interesting how So much nuance and complexity is involved in that discussion. But it's just sort of gone two-sided. It's very partisan, isn't it? One side that says if you don't think we ought to, you know, anything, anything other than what I think should happen, and you don't care that people are going broke. One another side says if you don't think exactly like I think, then you don't value human life. And the truth of the matter is that the issue is far more complex with that. You know, at some point we're going to come back here, but I can almost promise you it won't be a popping of the cork. It won't be everybody back in the building. It's, it's going to have to come back in stages. We're going to have to be responsible with this. And no matter what decision we make, there's never going to be one in which every single one of the hundreds of people who come here every weekend are going to be completely comfortable with it. We're just all going to have to do as one body the best that we can. 
Um, and I've been thankful to see that at least our internal discussions have reflected that kind of unity. I'm, I'm very thankful for that. But when we turn on each other, just be careful of doing that is what I'm saying. Because when you do that, you're acting exactly like the world. You go to a corner, you pick a team, you start duking it out. But when we love each other, when we serve each other through that love, based on one word, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a quote, by the way, from Leviticus 19, right out of the law of Moses. We fulfill the law in a way that foreshadows heaven on earth. When you bring religion or rebellion into any kind of community, you bring either of those into your marriage, into your family, into your workplace, into your church, it, it's like hitting a, a, a really deep pothole with your vehicle. It instantaneously misaligns those relationships and, and community begins to suffer and wither. You know why? Because religion and rebellion at root are perverted ways of looking at God. However you see your relationship with God will inform your relationships with other people. This community that he's talking about, it's not the sort of competition in which there are going to be winners and losers. Now, the kind of, the kind of community we're talking about is a community that urges people on toward good works. It's a lot less like a, a football game or a baseball game and a lot more like a marathon. Where, yes, there's a first place, a second place, a third place, but in the end, everybody is cheering for everybody else. You know what that looks like? You ever been to one of those things? Or maybe, maybe you've run one of those. My wife has, has run uh, three of those, actually, here in town, and a couple more in some other cities around the country. But uh, the Freedom's Run that happens here almost every October, she's run the half marathon uh, for that. Now, I'll tell you, she could not have done it without me. Uh, the, I was there. I mean, I'm standing at the finish line with her backpack and a big plate of macarons from the sweet shop in Shepherdstown. That's, I'm, that's me. That's playing my role. So I've never actually ran a marathon. I've seen it done. It looks pretty hard. Uh, but if you're one of those people, you know that running a marathon, you don't, you're not eyeballing each other. You're not, are you? You push each other. I remember several years ago, my wife, she ran into this lady from Ohio. While they were running, they struck up a conversation, gained a friendship, and they talked for seven miles. Now, if I want to build a relationship, I'm not going to be running when I do it. But that's what she did. And they crossed the finish line together. And they were not the only ones. You think about that. People at a marathon high-five each other. They encourage each other. Every once in a while, one of them might even make the sacrifice of slowing down a little bit so another one can catch up to them and pick up the pace, and they cross the line together. That's the body of Christ. That's what Paul is calling us to here. And we can do that when every single one of us are spiritually aligned. A couple years ago, I sold a motorcycle that I'd ridden for a number of years, um, it was a melancholy day, but not a terribly sad day. We're just in a season right now where uh, there's just other, other priorities. Um, and for those of you that I've talked to individually about that, you know, at some point, uh, maybe about eight, ten years out, if the Lord allows me to keep my health and my reflexes, I'll get another one. I never really got my dream back anyway. But while I was riding, uh, I, would always, I would also make sure my motorcycle was in good operation. I mean, if you go down on one of those, it's... it's the consequences are a lot worse than having a car accident or a car out of alignment. But did you know there's a way to tell whether or not your motorcycle's aligned? Take your hands off the handlebars on a straight, flat road. Just take them off. And just Now, you're not going to be able to do it for long if you're throttling here. But it'll be just as straight as an arrow. If it's not, it's going to wobble, and, and you're going to wobble, and then you're going to be grabbing that thing. But I got to tell you, if you're, if you're taking a long ride after about the first 100, 120 miles, I don't care if you're on a cruiser bike, your arms are going to start to get tired right here. And you're going to want to stretch them. And so you're going to want to just let them hang for a little bit. Just a few seconds. You're going to want to do something like this. You're, you're going to want to get that, you know, some of those kinks out that, that have been building up for the last 100 miles. And you're not going to be able to do that unless that bike is aligned. But if that bike is aligned, well, you look just like that guy. You're just cruising. It's directing itself. There is absolutely no fear. You just sit back 
and you enjoy the ride. Listen, brothers and sisters, that is the gospel. That is the effect it should be having on my life and yours and on our church, that we will be aligned, and the result is we will be conformed, not to Joel's image, not to your image, but the image of Christ. And with the mind of Christ, and the heart of Christ, and the hands and the feet of Christ, we love each other. We love our community. And we grow in grace together. I can't think of a, more, of a time where it has been more critical than at this moment in this environment for us to do exactly that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the warnings in your word not to get out of alignment. Lord, I, I just pray that in the midst of all that we're experiencing, that we would make sure that we are tethered to you that we are not influenced by either rebellion that would tempt us to go back to a pagan life or religion that would make us think that we can somehow overcorrect without the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. We'll be learning about him next week, and you have revealed much uh, of the benefit of living a Spirit-filled life. And so, Lord Jesus, as we anticipate that message, make us committed today to love you and to love each other and to align our lives with the purposes of Christ so that the cross of Christ and its self-sacrificial image would characterize everything in our lives. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take a few moments now and just sing and worship together. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to today's message. If you'd like to reach out to us in any kind of response, just email us at prayer at covenant-mail.com. But whatever God is calling you to do, take these few moments as we respond to his word. I'm so grateful that you chose to join us today in worship. And I want to invite you out again, if you have need, this coming Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. in our east parking lot. That's the parking lot that faces our road here on Shepherdstown Pike. It's right, the sign that you see, the main sign inviting you in is there uh, for a community lunch. We're going to start with drive through because we're not yet prepared and uh, it's not yet safe to open the building. Uh, so we'll start with that and as, as uh, restrictions begin to lift, there'll be other opportunities to serve, but I hope that you'll be here. This is just one of the ways that we're able to try and be a blessing to our community to try to provide some relief. And to those of you who continue to give faithfully, thank you so much for empowering us with the ability to be able to do these kinds of things. And if you'd like to give to these efforts to the church, you can send it by mail to P.O. Box 1674, Shepherdstown, West Virginia, 25443. Or you can give online from right where you are. Just go to givetocovenant.com. I want to pray, and then I want to give us a, just a few moments uh, to receive tithes and offerings, if you'd like to do that now. Uh, and then after this musical interlude, Pastor David Lyle is going to come and just share some brief announcements with us to close out our service together. Thank you for being with us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your grace. And as we receive gifts, offerings that go ultimately to you, that all of us confess originated from you. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of being able to share burdens together. Not just our own, but the burden of this entire community. Lord, would you enlarge our capacity for meeting those burdens and meeting those needs. And I thank you in the name of Jesus for those who give toward that end. I pray that you would bless their gifts today and that they would feel the blessing of God as they give. In Jesus' name, amen. What a glorious day. Thank you today for watching listening to covenant worship today and for the word we pray that it has uplifted you and blessed you today and that the holy spirit will minister to you through it here at covenant we are reaching out and doing our very best to stay connected to you every week many of our leaders are calling people who attend covenant church on a regular basis and what a blessing it is to hear your voice and to listen to you and hear your concerns and even have the honor and pleasure to pray with you.
Speaking of prayer, please continue to send in your prayer requests to us at the email that has been posted throughout the worship, prayer at covenant-mail.com, and share with us what is going on in your world so that we can lift you up in prayer. You can do that 24-7-365. And again, online, we're reaching out. Uh, Miss Lisa is reaching out through the children, through Covenant uh, Kids. Uh, Pastor Joe is reaching out every day at 12 o'clock noon to the teens, and he shares with them the Word of God. And then the youth group is meeting, of course, Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. online. Also, what a wonderful time to join a small group. You can reach out to us here, and we can get you hooked up to a small group. Many of them are meeting online through Zoom and are having a wonderful time together in community. And finally, you can stay connected on a weekly basis through our Facebook page, through the church website, and then every Friday we have a weekly email blast that goes out of all the happenings here at Covenant Church. As Pastor Joel reminded before the sermon today at 1 o'clock, we're having a Discover Covenant class. There's 15 people signed up for that Zoom class, which Pastor Joel and Pastor Chris will be teaching. And if you still want to get in on that, you can email dlyle at covenant-mail.com and we'll send you a link. Pastor Joel has also mentioned about our lunch giveaway program. Please pray for that ministry this week that God will bless it, and people who are living on the margins of life due to this crisis will have some much-needed assistance. Also, Wednesday, this Wednesday at 1 through 5, is Covenant Food Pantry. We've been helping about 25 families a week through the food pantry. And you can make an appointment to receive food by going online to the email address pantry at covenant-mail.com. Thank you for watching today. God bless you, and have a great week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at nine o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.